Hello listeners, I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today we're continuing with Tales from the Dark Side with episode 3, I'll Give You a Million. This episode stars Keenan Wynn as Duncan Williams and George Petrie as Jack Blaine, who are the main characters of this particular episode. Before we get into it, I do want to mention that we're actually going to be taking turns describing the plot of each episode. So the last episode, I described the plot, or rather, you know, the bulk of it. And this episode, Zachy's going to be describing the plot of I'll Give You a Million. And of course, it'll we'll continue in that manner up until we're finished with the entire series. And maybe if it really boils down to personal preference, we might switch off on occasion. You know, if I if I beg hard enough, maybe I'll get one of my favorite episodes I get to describe. <laughs> so, Zachy, how does this episode begin? The episode opens on our two main characters, Duncan William and Jack Blaine, drinking cognac in the back of their car while laughing heartily about somebody that they ruined on foreclosing their uh, business or house. Whatever, it's the, not... <laughs> whatever the heck foreclosing means. <laughs> And uh, they're twirling their mustache. Well, one of them has a mustache. But, you know, if the other one did, he'd be twirling it too. And talking about how evil and cold-hearted they can be. They are metaphorically twirling their mustaches evilly. Yes. And they're both wearing suits. And they're in the back of this fancy car. And they're talking about how dastardly they've been. And they're talking about all sorts of things. Duncan proposes to Jack that he has a surprise for him that he wants him to learn about when they get to his house. I guess saying that out of context, it gives you a different idea, but it is strictly business offer. Like when he offered to have a merger between their two businesses and Jack declined. Was it, was it Jack or Duncan who declined that one? Mm. I'm pretty sure it was Jack, but I think it might have been... Honestly, all that business stuff just went right over my head. The, I mean, literally, I don't, even, I don't know what foreclosed means. Like, they say it like it's something evil. Like, I assume it means to be kicked out of your house or business because of the way they act, that it's such evil thing. Yeah, I, I mean, think it's. I think the, the definition for foreclosure is, like, the bank or the the property owner taking back the house from the person who is living in it. Hmm. So, so basically like if, kicked out? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, he, like, uh, I think it was... Duncan, who like literally says, Oh, you should have seen the look on his face when I said foreclosed. And then they literally laugh and drink their like wine. Like they are literally mustache whirling evil businessmen here. And I kid you not, throughout the entire episode, I was thinking that these guys looked familiar. And then later on, when we rewatched the episode, I finally realized who they look like. They look like Stantley and. Uh, I think it's Statler. Oh, yeah. It was Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Yeah. Otherwise known as those two old heckler guys. <laughs> yes. And they are highly reminiscent of the roles as Marley and Marley from the. Uh, Muppets uh, Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol. I mean, they even they even have the same like facial hair. Like yes. they look the same. They look just like them. Yeah, they they essentially fill out that same role. Whether they evil businessmen who love looking at the looks in people's sad faces when they take their property from them. 
<laughs> literally down to that. It is insanely close to that. But uh, Duncan reminds me quite a bit of like an old Western actor. Like he, he has like a Sam Elliott kind of look kind of combined with like Kurt Russell. If he had a big old handlebar mustache mm. and like how he was in Tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. The way the mustache kind of goes around. Yeah. Face. Yeah. They, they look awesome mm. as like evil businessmen, but more so Duncan than Jack. Jack is like an old man. Right. But but Duncan looks like a gunslinger. You know, you know. what? Uh, he actually, I think, was in several westerns in his in like the black and white movie days. Nice. There's like plenty of westerns in his IMDb page. At least the pictures of westerns listed. <laughs> I'm not really good. I don't at... think it really counts if he plays like coffin person number three or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow, but... no, he's holding like a gun or something in a picture here. Oh that... wait, maybe it's not even a western. It's like some. It's That's Doctor Strange Love. Oh yeah, yeah, he's in Doctor Strange Love. Oh, he's the guy who gets mad at, at least I think he's the guy who gets mad at the dude for breaking a uh, a vending machine to get the change out for uh, pay f- uh, the payphone, if I, I remember that scene. Wow. No, no. Uh, it's black and white. I, I have such a hard time seeing black and I can't even understand what I'm looking at when I look at black and white half the time. <laughs> so, like, you know. Such a I, weird thing. Yeah, it's just, it's terrible. I need more practice. But, yeah, so when they get home, they start the conversation very, uh, what's the word, out of context. So, oh, I'll give you a million for it. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, a million for what? He's not British. But, uh, <laughs> apparently... They started the conversation without him because he asks them, like, a million for what? What are you talking about? He's like, your soul, Jack. I want a million dollars for your soul. Jack is, like, surprised at this, and he's just, he, they're playing pool, or at least uh, Duncan is. Jack keeps betting on Duncan's shots. He's like, oh, 2,000 that you don't make that one. And then he makes it. And then 3,000 that you won't make that one. And then loses that. And then double or nothing on the eight ball. And he gets that one in and he loses, I kid you not, he loses $10,000 on that pool game. But it means nothing to him. That's pocket change. Yeah. And it- that is a powerful tool in that scene to show you just how hideously rich they are. That he can just chuck around thousands of dollars like it's pocket change. Well, it is pocket change. So. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Waldorf is... Uh, <laughs> <Stop> Waldorf! <laughs> It's Duncan. You can't, you can't fault me for this. They look similar. I, I don't even know the Muppets' names. Like, I have to look them up every single time I want to know their names. They're literally just the, the old Muppets to me. I do not even know their names. You're going to confuse me more if you, like, call him so, Waldorf. So, Waldorf Marley no. tells us, oh, you're going to need the million dollars because you're you're wasting a lot of money on this button. It starts to really get to Jack because Jack, he's got this kind of looming mortality over him because of his weak liver. So, uh, being approached with the idea to sell his soul, he's like, uh, I don't know. He's getting, like, all these flashbacks back to, like, not in the episode, but he says that he, he's like, I hadn't talked about his soul since like, last time I was at Sunday school. Duncan's just like... Like, oh, you know, you're you're getting you're gonna back out on me. <laughs> I'm just offering you a million dollars for a soul, and you're reminiscing about Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> he also points out, like specifically, oh, my atheist friend, you know, is now you know too afraid to make an easy million dollars because he's worried about his non-existent soul, and specifically says that 
he's you know was an atheist but i feel like this scene show is specifically showing jack's unease with this whole discussion and is kind of getting peer pressured by duncan mm. to agree that he should just sell his soul for a million dollars you know because it doesn't really exist but it exists and i mean enough in his mind for him to bring up sunday school right like mm. even though he claims to be an atheist it still straight up makes him think about Sunday school. And then later he sh is shown being very uneasy about it, kind of even nervously laughing with Duncan because he really kind of doesn't want to agree. But with Duncan's kind of like teasing him, oh, his non-existent soul, you know, this easy million, it it's making him feel like he has something to live up to. Like, of course, I can't just like act like a weenie now, you know, or, uh, you know. Cause <laughs> no, I think you'd hit the nail on the head yeah. acting like a weenie. <laughs> uh <laughs> So, Duncan then, while talking to him, mentions, you, oh, your bad liver is yada yada. And Jack is like, oh, this is, so that's what, this is what it's all about, right? You're just, you're only asking me this because you think I'm going to die soon, right? Uh, Duncan says that he was only trying to make a point, right? And then Jack feels like something's up. Like, yeah, you know, this, this is too weird of a thing for you to bring up mm -hmm. unless you have some kind of angle. Yeah, he even says that I know you too well. I know there's some sort of a catch behind this deal of yours. Jack, he he finally he's like ah whatever you know, uh, uh, the easiest million I ever made. Oh, and even I gotta mention though to sort of add to Jack's unease the whole time that they're having this conversation, it's like thunderstorming outside. So mm. there's lightning and thunder just to sort of make this moment just a little bit more uh, ominous. Yeah. Um, to sort of, I guess, even add more to how ominous everything is. This is in Duncan's house, the, the potential buyer of the soul. And all on the walls, like everywhere, are kind of like things that hint at him being a hunter. Like there's a rack full of uh, like these large rifles. There's several paintings of dogs and other... Yeah, like hunting dogs. Yeah, hunting dogs. But I was going to say uh, the woods and stuff, just kind of scenery where you would be hunting. I mean, not everything is about hunting. Like there's several stat like busts of things. I don't know what they are. Just people's heads yeah. on things. Historical figures and all of that. And he's got a, a little gold statue of like a panther yeah, on, on his, his desk. desk. And also there's like a statue on some other bu uh, bureau or something. Of, like, a mongoose and a snake it's a, fighting. It's a taxidermy scene of a snake and a mongoose fighting. Yeah, and then there's also a very prominent chessboard behind mm -hmm. them by the window. And it's it, that ends up in the scene quite often. So it's kind of important just to sort of show how what a chess master Duncan is. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's not only his chessboard. He's often shown with it in the vicinity, showing that he really does have this kind of evil plan behind everything he's doing. Like, it's not just straightforward. I want your soul. There is definitely a catch. There's definitely a, a, another plan he's got going on. Mm -hmm. So we go to a commercial break. And when we come back from the commercial break, it is the day of which the contract is being written and made up and going to be put into effect. And that's when he's supposed to sign it or whatever. So that way he can fully agree to the contract. So this is an important point because we learn from Duncan what exactly the contract entails, which is always important in situations like this, because this is how they always get you. Valina has written down the entire important part of the contract. There's like two lines that finish it, but it, that's not in very important to the context of the episode per se. But this is the, the meat and potatoes of the contract. So take it away. 
Okay, so this is basically what at least the last half-ish part of the contract says uh, and how he's written it down and he's presenting it to, or how Duncan is presenting it to Jack um, for him to sign. Okay, within 24 hours of the demise of one John C. Blaine, all rights to his eternal soul shall thereafter become the exclusive property of one Duncan Oliver Williams. In consideration thereof, Mr. Williams, hereafter referred to as buyer, agrees to deposit to the account of Mr. Blaine, hereafter referred to as seller, the sum of one million U.S. dollars upon execution of this contract. If the buyer should die before taking possession of said soul, the contract shall be considered null and void. If, however, the buyer should meet death at the hands of foul play of any kind, all monies should be returned to his estate with highest interest allowed by current law. And that's it's very important later on. He actually specifically says he puts that part of if he should meet his death at the hands of foul play, specifically because of the implication that Jack murdered his previous partner. So he just wants to make sure that if he's murdered for that money back, that it nullifies the contract. And he gets he gets to uh, keep the money he paid for the soul while uh, Jack gets nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the reason why he didn't go through with the merger because then he would be his partner mm -hmm. and knowing that bit of information prior he probably didn't want that to happen to himself which is why he probably declined yeah and every single time he accuses or implies that jack murdered his partner jack like literally responds in the most suspicious way imaginable just always even, just like <laughs> yeah he doesn't even deny it exactly he just says you know business is business you know you have your ways and i have mine he doesn't deny it like when the camera turns to him whenever dunking accuses him of this he immediately looks guilty he clearly this is not like a secret between the two of them he doesn't feel comfortable saying it out loud but he knows that dunkin knows and dunkin knows that he he knows you know so you know mm -hmm. it's just a kind of just a silent secret between the two of them and despite all of that jack decides to sign the contract stating that it is in fact the easiest million he has ever made and so now we flash forward in time and we see duncan gardening well he he was gardening and he sits back onto like a lawn chair to enjoy a glass of like what looks like water but i kind of doubt it because of the way that it's treated later actually i think he might be drinking some alcohol because he actually mentions to Jack to have a drink. Yes. So it's probably alcohol. Yeah. Because Jack comes up and he's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't wait for Friday. About this game that we're playing, you know, the contract and all of that. And Duncan's like, oh, you're not going back on me, are you? You know, it's like, yeah, I, I went to the doctor. He's like, oh, let me guess. Your liver. Like, yeah, I don't believe in a quack, Jack. They had this old ticker going out years ago and... I'm still around and all of that. Hint, hint, <laughs> foreshadowing, <laughs> foreshadowing. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Jack is like, no, you, you, you can't do this to me. I want to get my soul back. Can we just forget this whole thing ever happened? And Doug is like, no. He actually literally says, I'm enjoying this immensely. <laughs> <laughs> and does. that's like he says that and it's like he really cements himself as like a really great kind of evil and just likable villain mm -hmm. it's just his delivery of it is just amazing <laughs> and uh jack leaves and he's just like a mean and cruel person and then he just walks away and and duncan's just gardening 
And he's just like, oh, I'm going to get my million back. Yeah, that's he like really reveals that it isn't just the soul he wants. He wants money because he says cruel, yes, but also shrewd. I'll earn that million back. You'll see. So it's like, oh, this is his secret plan, right? He didn't just want the soul, though he really enjoys seeing Jack basically groveling for it back. He mm. wants to make that money back with interest. And then a hop and a time skip ahead. Uh, we see Duncan laying in his lavish bed. It's just this ornate king size bed. And it's all just this white room. And his butler comes in. And he's like, a telegram for you, sir. He's like, oh, what is it? And he's like, it's a telegram from Jack. He sent you this message. Duncan, stop. Please get rid of this contract. Stop. I will give you 100. I will give you a million dollars for this contract to be nullified. Stop. He's like, oh, so you're going to give me a million dollars on top of the million? And so the butler is like, oh, must I remind you, sir? It's Thursday. It's like, oh, yeah, it's your day off. Get out of here. And <laughs> so he leaves and he's just like, oh, he's just on cloud. Like, oh, I'm going to get my money. Hey. Mm-hmm. And then we see later on because he fell asleep at his desk. And the wind is blowing his papers all over. And I kid you not, everyone, he is screaming the the minute he wakes up. He's like, and because he's he's screaming for his butler's name, and he's he like, I don't remember the butler's name. It was Richards. Richards, Richards. I told you to close these windows. What are you, some kind of animal? And he he goes to close the windows, and they're they're completely closed. So this wind came out of nowhere, and yeah, it blew like all the, the papers around. Yeah, the curtains were billowing out. Yeah. The papers were flying Which is everywhere. a really cool effect. I have no clue how they accomplished that. Honestly, probably strings, like fishing wire. Maybe. That that would be a very interesting thing to see because that they're still moving while he's walking towards them, hmm. which would mean he'd have to walk over the fishing lines. Maybe, but he's kind of walking at an angle towards them. Uh, you guys can't see my hands, <laughs> but he's walking towards the window from... In, in like the a wall. in like a eight an eight o'clock to seven o'clock type of direction. Yeah, so he. I mean, it, it could have been strings. <laughs> yeah, so the wind is blowing and it's a thunderstorm, right? Because this this is important to note. It's a thunderstorm again, and uh, he goes to try to call Jack, and the phone line's dead, and he's like, "Oh, the, the, the thunderstorm and the phones are dead. <laughs> Next thing you know, the lights will go out." And then lights go out, you know. Well, they flicker. They don't really go out for good. (laughs) There's like a little music cue in there to kind of make you realize that it's like a, it's kind of a a little joke in there, you know. So he goes and takes his contract and he puts it in his bedroom, sets it on the nightstand, and he gets a phone call. He was hearing some noises just a little bit ago, hearing some like glass breaking and whatnot. And he's, he puts his ear up to try to see if he can hear it again. And that's when he gets the phone call. And he, like, waddles over to the phone and he picks it up. And he's like, <laughs> he's over the top angry still. And it's this, like, uh, housekeeper on the phone. She's like, oh, I've got bad news. Oh, you know, Jack. He's like, what? Can we get Jack on the phone? Get him on the phone. And she's like, oh, I can't say he's dead. That's the commercial break. And then we got back from the commercial break and that the housekeeper said that he had sent the telegram last night, which is why it got there that day. But he uh, 
he passed away that morning and that they didn't call Duncan until later in the day because they had to take care of his final expenses. And, like, at this point, Duncan is, of course, furious because he died before he can get his money back and that extra money he was gonna, you know, he was planning on earning. So he's not even sad at his, like, best friend's death. He's, like, just seriously angry. Like, he just got robbed. He just got robbed of a million dollars. And he even mentions, well, why didn't he call me? Because he's, I mean, he sent him a telegram, right? Like, it, they have phones, which is kind of a weird choice on Jack's part, except for maybe the fact that, and this is what I'm thinking, maybe Jack just simply knew, like, he knew he was going to die and kind of wanted to dig in to Duncan so he would just not get his money back. Maybe he thought, you know what, this particular dig is actually better than getting that money back so I could be laughing beyond the grave. Mm -hmm. um that's the only reason i could think he would send a telegram of all things that actually did annoy duncan to get a telegram mm -hmm. but um yeah as opposed to a phone call like a normal person mm -hmm. so then because jack died duncan is now the official owner of the soul and now he's already paid a million dollars for it and he's stuck with the soul that he didn't want well, it's not like he doesn't even consider it a soul, though. He actually just says, I'm stuck with this useless piece of paper. So he doesn't believe in the soul at all. So Jack, I mean, I think it's kind of clear he does believe in it. At least that kind of, like, I'm on my deathbed. I definitely don't want to be taking any chances, particularly since he's also a murderer, right? So he clearly believes in the soul, but Duncan does not. All he has in his mind is just a piece of paper that's completely useless. So, mm -hmm. you know, for him, it's not, he didn't win anything. Like, he just got robbed of a million dollars. Yes. <laughs> And so now Duncan is starting to hear even more noises and he's like listening in on the, the noises going on and he, we get to see a little bit of what's happening oh. and we see a pair of shoes walking downstairs and knocking everything off of tables and whatnot, open, throwing in books and you see that on the ground he's just releasing like smoke on the floor and like the smoke is coming from under his under his pant legs or under like his well, shoes it, it's like it's under his shoes because he takes a step and it like leaves like this little like billow of smoke yeah it's, it's supposed to be that he's like leaving smoky footprints behind him mm -hmm. you know like his feet are kind of causing smoke to just kind of sprout out on from the ground yeah so it, we all know who he's supposed to be even though we can't see his face or anything it's a really really neat effect it is it's awesome and so he hears all of this clattering and rattering and all of this uh, commotion going on downstairs. And he's on the phone and he says, like, oh, if you can hear me, there's, there's uh, prowlers in the house to send the police. And so he puts the phone down and he grabs a revolver out of his drawer and he goes downstairs. You see the feet walk towards the middle of the room and when he enters the room, he fades away just in time to not be seen. And when he fades away, he leaves this little kind of circlet of smoke where he was standing. He goes down there and sees a totally trashed room. Then he hears like a knock on the door. like, And the door opens and it's Jack. And he looks like a corpse and he's carrying a platter with a little glass container with a little lock on it. Yeah. It's got this glowing green light at the bottom and it's all smoky in there. And he looks like, how would you, how would you describe how Jack looks? Uh, he looks like someone took a, like a potato peeler and just attacked his face. I mean, he died of 
I mean, assuming, like, what, cirrhosis of the liver or something? Clearly he had a liver problem that he died of. But the corpse that comes in looks like someone literally attacked his face. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because he was cremated. So he should look burned at the very least if that's supposed to be his corpse. I mean, but, he definitely looks like a dead corpse. That's what they were yeah. going for. But it makes no sense with how he died or what happened to his body afterward. Yeah, so his uh, his corpse has got, like, strips of skin hanging off. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got this kind of greenish tint to him, this bluish-greenish tint. And he's got this vocal effect that sounds almost just, like, a little bit like how Pinocchio sounds when he's underwater looking for Monstro. You know, that kind of weird, like, type of, like, <laughs> sound effect. But uh, he's like, oh, you take my soul. And he's like, oh, you're dead. You're dead. He's like, oh, if you don't take my soul, he'll take it. And then Duncan just raises his revolver and just pop, pop, just, you know, shoots him. And Jack is just, take the soul, Duncan. Yeah, Duncan is beyond terrified. Like, right Mm. now, the very last thing he's thinking about is that soul. Mm. Like, it means literally nothing to him. And the only thing he's focusing on is how terrified he is of Jack. He's not even, he's not listening to him or anything. It's just, like, literally, there's a ghost here or a zombie. Get away from me. That is the only thing in his mind. And he is literally so frightened, he has tears in his eyes. I couldn't make that up. It is so insanely well done of like a scene, just actor scene done where he is just showing off how good he can perform this scene. So after shooting Jack a couple of times, he turns around and he's just fear screaming up the stairs, arms on both rails and walking with his legs spread apart like he crapped himself. <laughs> 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 He, he's hollering all the way up there and he runs up to the room. He closes the door. He locks it. And then he hears, please, Duncan, take my soul. And he turns around and he just phases into the room. It's a ghost. No door's going to stop him. And so he runs and he grabs his, uh, his contract. Uh, contract. Thank you. And he grabs a lighter. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to get rid of this. He doesn't say that, but you can tell in his eyes that that's what he's planning on doing. So he's trying to light the lighter and he, it's not working. He's trying to light it and it just goes out whenever he puts it. And he, he does it like once very intentionally. And then the next couple of times are just him trying and he's just focusing on Jack. And this is like, that's where Jack is basically kind of explaining himself a bit more. Without- yeah explicitly mentioning who it is who's after him yeah he says it's like oh he's coming and if you don't take the soul he will get the soul like possession is what nine tenths of the law whatever that means (laughs) so then he once the contract doesn't burn he's just he just starts getting insanely terrified and angry and he's just like, go away, go away, go. Oh. And he has a heart attack and he keels over dramatically doing a 180, landing on his back onto his king size bed, rips his robes open. And we get to see just his absolutely hairy chest and his body hit the bed, completely stone cold belly up. And <laughs> Jack looks defeated. 
Yeah, he's screaming, no, because that's his only chance to, like, not suffer the fate he's about to suffer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we get to see who will deliver him to that fate as we see this dapper fellow walk <laughs> into the room. And we can tell off the bat that he is supposed to be the devil. And he walks in there with a bright red rose and he's wearing black and just rocking black lipstick. <laughs> and he's got this vocal effect on him that's that type of effect where you can kind of hear a noise leading into the words he's saying. And he's like, oh, you know, since you passed away before the contract was finalized, since you didn't accept his soul, I get your soul. <laughs> yeah, and he actually reads off the contract, the, the important line, which is, if the buyer should die before taking possession of said soul, the contract shall be considered null and void. And considering all the, you know, sins, or rather the actual murder that Jack committed, well, his soul would have belonged to the devil, right? Except mm. when Duncan bought it, it belongs to Duncan. So that way, he would have been safe from going to hell for at least a little bit while Duncan owned the soul. So because he did not claim the soul... The contract's null and void. So that way, the devil wins in that regard, and he gets the soul of first Duncan, where he reaches into his chest and pulls out the soul, and we get to see a nice little effect where he has the light shining on his face, and when he closes his hand, the light disappears. Then we get to see him take the soul that was on the platter and the little thing, and I love how this scene plays out, because the devil... Doesn't, like, grab the lock and tear it off or, like, snap or anything to, like, make the lock explode or anything over the top. He simply has the lock just fall off of the little metal circling part. You know, the little part that clicks in to uh, make the lock lock. The actual locking mechanism falls off. And it's just that little U-shaped metal piece left on the hatch. And he casually walks up to it very daintily flips the sea metal piece off and he opens it up, reaches in and grabs the soul and pulls it back out. And we see Jack fade away. And then we see him do uh, this death glare at Duncan and we see his chest just burst into flames. We see the devil fade away as he's laughing to himself and he drops the rose before he goes. So there's the rose on the floor and we get to turn back to Duncan. And now Duncan has paid in full, burned across his chest. And that's where the episode ends. It is a really good episode. I love these two evil men and they're just, they're just game with their souls and just mountains of money. And they just <laughs> throw money around like it's absolutely nothing to them. And even their souls, right? Mm -hmm. Except, I mean, it isn't nothing to Jack, right? He just pretends it isn't. Mm -hmm. And Duncan, I mean, I gotta actually do think it's nothing to him. But it, it, they're just both horribly evil. Duncan is so gleefully evil. Like, this is his best friend, and he is utterly enjoying the fact that he's got him like a worm on a hook. It's just the characters are just really what makes this. Mm -hmm. And then that devil, he looks <laughs> like... 
like a pre-Joker Joker. Like, think mm-hmm. of Jack Napier, right? Mm-hmm. He looks like that. He's got, like, a, like a, a suit on with, like, a bow tie. He's oh, got, it's like, not a bow tie. It's on. one of those little, like, chest scarfs that are, like, a, like like a really wide tie. But it's, it's not like an ascot, because that's, like, what Fred has yeah, in yeah. Scooby-Doo. Uh, I'm talking, like, it's one of those really puffy kind of like ties that fits in your shirt. So it's not like a typical like suit and tie devil, right? It's more of this fancy look to him that's got this very like... Old-fashioned? Old-fashioned ornate, I would Mm. say. Ornate look. Because a typical suit and tie. And then if he wore something like that, he'd look very, very close to Duncan and Jack, which was not what was intended. He was supposed to look better. So... (laughs) He walks in, and he's got this very, very old-school fairy type of vibe to him. Hmm. Like, this, the not like the, you know, pixies and whatnot. I'm talking, like, old-timey, like, leprechaun and just that kind of really fancy, otherworldly kind of feel to them. And they accomplish that perfectly with his design. Especially with the rose. The rose is what I feel like gives that biggest push in that kind of ethereal direction with how the devil looks yeah and he's got like a kind of his expressions are like like i said i i like to describe him in terms of a joker because he's got this this kind of face where he has this sort of smile and it's so very prominent on his face the lines of his face how they fold to sort of really extend his lips when he smiles as well as his frown so you get these really over-exaggerated looking expressions. They don't look unnatural by any means, but they they are very prominent when he makes them. And it's just a good look. It's just, he just makes such a good devil. Oh, I just, I love me a good devil. <laughs> it is a very unique devil. And honestly, I would say it is one of the most inspired depictions of the devil that I have seen in most media. So, Valina, why don't you tell me what you think of this episode? I really love this episode. <laughs> it was someone I remembered when I had watched it the first time forever ago. But when I rewatched it, I'm like, oh, man, this is just really enjoyable. I, at first, you know, I was a little taken aback by how obviously evil they were supposed to be. <laughs> But, and the episode is kind of over the top in that kind of regard. All these actors really ham it up, Mm -hmm. you know, but that makes it so much better. Like, I don't know, like, it really works for this episode. All their personalities are so big. All of their, their behaviors, you know, really big like that. Heck, even like, like I said, the backgrounds with Duncan's hunting stuff, you know, like everything to sort of show who he is just in the background. So even though you don't get like a whole lot of him, I mean, just in terms of the fact that this is a short story, right? You Mm. still know a whole lot about him by the time the episode's over not so much jack but a lot of duncan for sure but everyone else like i said they acted up even with jack you know his his guilt when you know he's told about you know the fact that he murdered his partner that uneasy has when duncan mentions his you know his soul he should sell it he you know a really good actor he makes it very clear what jack is thinking at any given time even though he's got a lot less screen time than duncan does and i don't know i really really love episodes that focus a lot on the characters and make them really likable even if they're bad so i really enjoyed this episode i mean it does it's not really like a hard hitter you know a new man really went 
for the throat with when it comes to sort it of just, really heavy topics. It just went ape for those heavy topics. Yeah, and it also had stuff that let you that made you think about it later on. First viewing is not going to tell you anything about it. You have to watch it the second time. You know, be like, oh, wait a minute, this is what this episode's about. This you got to bring your shovel because you need to start digging into yes, it. Yes, but this episode is really straightforward. Everything you need to know is in the episode, and you can pretty much catch that all of it in the first watch. Yeah, but it doesn't treat you like you're stupid and tries to beat you over the head with things that come back later. And I feel like this episode really exceeds in being a competently done simple story mm -hmm. because there's nothing wrong with simplicity, right? There's nothing wrong with a, a straightforward story if it's a good story. And I believe that this episode is a very competently done story at that. And you'll always win my heart with a supernatural themed episode. And this one just hits that sweet spot just right. It may not be the most memorable episode from when we watched it the first time around. But keep in mind, we watched these episodes in large chunks. We watched like four episodes a time when we originally watched it. So the more memorable episodes of a bunch were the ones that we remembered, if we remembered any mm -hmm. of that bunch. So this was one of those good episodes that managed to slip under the radar because we watched like 500 episodes. It was surrounded by episodes that we didn't really care for that much. Yeah, it's kind of surrounded by a bunch of bland episodes. Again, considering that we watched A New Man, when we first watched it like, you know, years ago, that was very face value. So we didn't really like it as much as we did this technically third time we watched it. But we probably enjoyed it when we watched it then. But it wasn't as memorable as later episodes, particularly one that come across as really bad and then <laughs> and then those stick out you know more in our minds so it's likely coming up we have more bad episodes that we remember more than a good episode which mm -hmm. is really unfortunate yeah and that's kind of a shame because this episode managed to slide under the radar our first time around and i feel like we didn't appreciate it enough you know <laughs> and uh, i feel like we did it a disservice because of that mm-hmm Another topic that we like to talk about whenever we talk about episodes of TV shows and all of that, one important thing that we do love about movies and TV shows is how much can we talk about it after the fact because of the amount of material and the leftovers it leaves you with to chew on after the fact, right? Mm -hmm. With this episode, it doesn't have a whole lot of that. It's, again, very straightforward. Mm -hmm. There's not really a whole lot to dig into. Yeah, like, they're they're pretty much, all the characters are pretty evil, and you can look into the backgrounds. Oh, that kind of shows, you know, more about their life. I mean, there's little things you might be able to dig into, but they don't really have that much impact on the plot. Like, Duncan has a wedding ring, but he's alone in his house. Like, he only has his servant. It doesn't really mean anything. I mean, you could really say maybe his wife died, you know, I mean, which is very likely. But it doesn't really have any effect on the plot, so it doesn't really make a difference like it's just a little yeah. character element right it just yeah. adds to him but it doesn't really add to the plot and doesn't give you anything to discuss afterwards yeah i think the key word we're looking for is intrigue hmm. where it, some things can be given to you and it might be interesting but it's not intriguing right like what was it duncan's marital status yeah duncan is the yeah the mustache, mustache dude who's married was married maybe Mm -hmm. uh, like that's maybe interesting, but it's not intriguing. Like you don't want to dig more into it. And the only thing I could think of about this episode that is not quite answered is the fact that these two guys always seem to meet on a Friday. The very first time he mentions, actually, I'm not sure if he wants to go show him the surprise on Friday, but 
I know. For no, it was uh, it was earlier than that because they write up the contract that Friday. Yes, but I don't know if it was mentioned earlier that it was also Friday because he just says, "All right, well, I'll show you that contract on Friday or next Friday," which might imply it was already Friday. And then the next time he meets him in the garden, um, he actually says, "I couldn't wait until Friday." And then, of course, when they all die. <laughs> The servant mentions that it's Thursday, and it was his day off, and he he goes home. But the rest of the events take place at night, which means it could have been 12 o'clock midnight, right? It could have literally been Friday when, the, you know, the devil comes and gets his due. So I think at the absolute longest span of time, the shortest span of time it could possibly be is what I meant. Mm-hmm. The shortest span of time is that is a solid week. It starts on Thursday, right? Oh, we'll meet this Friday to write up the contract and then a little while after that it's oh you know i couldn't wait till friday and then after that is thursday so we know there's a decent amount of time between when he comes back and couldn't wait for friday because keep in mind the contract was written on friday yeah so a couple weeks have already passed after yeah i think this episode takes place over the course of like a month not a full month but a few weeks have gone by because they keep mentioning Fridays. I don't really know why they do it or if it means anything. It was just a thing I noticed. It's just one of those details that's like, I'm not really sure what that's for. I mean, it, it, as far as I know, it doesn't really pan out to anything. But At the very there. least, there are two Fridays that are important. So, And two Thursdays that are important. Well, the Thursday might just be hinting that it's it's on a Friday, right? Because it's nighttime when he wakes up. You know, he was like asleep. But un- unless we had a clock in the room, we wouldn't be able to tell whether or not it's still Thursday or Friday. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, could have been there for that reason. I- and I-, I don't I don't know what the point of it is. So what's important about a, f- a Friday? I think that might be a set time they hang out. Because that would be convenient if you regularly hanged out on Fridays. Mm. They're like, oh, I'll write the contract next time we meet on Friday, you know, as usual. Yeah, that's a little off topic with the scheduling of their uh, oh. time span. But it is important to note that that is something that is interesting, but it's not intriguing. Exactly. Like, it's just a, it's like a detail that exists. You know, and this is the only detail that I didn't feel was answered in a way. Like, it's, it's kind of there. It's a bit of a mystery, but not like, you know... So much of a mystery, I'm going to be awake at night thinking about it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, I'm going to be, I, I just sort of bring it up to mention that it's a thing there and it's an odd kind of a theme, but I'm not really sure what it means, if anything, other than Friday's important. Yeah, the most important piece of intrigue that I could think of is the way the devil works in this episode. Because clearly, he can walk around. He's not trapped in hell or anything like that. It's a very straightforward kind of like, he just is wherever he wants to be. Yeah, he's punishing bad guys. I mean, like, that's kind of what his role is, right? Like, he may or may not be a bad guy himself, but he's definitely punishing evil. You know, he mentions that, well, rather he confirms that Jack is going to go to hell because of the murder of his partner, among other things. And then Duncan's crimes are too numerous to list. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely punishing them. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's necessarily meant to be evil, but he's certainly seen that way by the people whose souls he's going to be dragging down to hell. Exactly. 
Yeah, so this episode has a lot of interesting things in it, but I feel that it is not a huge factor of long-lasting conversation about it. Like, the new man's going to keep you talking about it if you know what to look for, mm -hmm. because then you can start kind of digging into what symbolism means what, and is this literal, is this figurative, is yada yada. You know, there's a lot to talk about after the fact. Particularly because it leaves a mystery. Exactly. What is that little kid, right? Jerry, you know, wh what is he? You know, because it never answers it. And the mystery really comes from the fact that he appears again at the end with a new daddy, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not answered. So it leaves a huge question that causes you to dig back into the episode to try to answer these questions. You know, yeah. Like this episode leaves nothing really to the imagination everything's answered right off the bat but that's not what makes it enjoyable right like what makes it enjoyable is just the characters and how they behave and just everything really about what you're seeing on screen is what makes it enjoyable yeah like you're not going to be talking a long time about how great the story was on the roller coaster you had a lot of fun on that ride hmm. and i feel that's what is important with this particular episode like there's nothing long lasting about the episode but the episode in of itself while you're watching it is fantastic and i couldn't recommend it enough mm -hmm. now where would you rate this episode considering that you're the one who likes the five star system <laughs> uh i mean i i want to give it maybe four or four and a half stars Ooh, like it's really it's definitely above average it's definitely four star material uh, but I give it maybe the four and a half stars or, you know, like I said, between four and four and a half, one of those because of how good it is. It doesn't quite get the five stars because I feel like that longevity that would come from having a bit of a mystery afterwards would mm. earn it that five stars. Or, like, nostalgia regions, like <sighs> the Yattering and Jack, which gets five stars because I read the short story as a kid. <laughs> but we won't get there for a long time, sadly. That's in the last season, and it is one of the last episodes. But this episode is good. But, like you said, it doesn't have that longevity that other episodes have. And that is a sad detractor of the episode, but it is not a nail in the coffin. It, you know, it's it's still a fantastic episode, and it is very much worth the time to watch it. Yes, and I'm, and I'm very, very greedy with my stars. So you don't get the five stars unless you're absolutely perfect in every way, or I'm too nostalgic for it to actually see any flaws. I think this just about wraps up this episode. So can you tell our listeners how they can get in contact with us and harass us in a pleasant way? <laughs> I don't know how to be harassed pleasantly, but... If you want to email us, you can do so at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. And we finally have an Instagram, which has one whole post on it about this episode. Uh, and it's This House Podcast. And that's just what it's called. Is that Instagram. And of course, our next episode is going to be Painkiller. And that's yeah. episode, what, four in Tales from the Dark Side. And it works really well because I can't remember a darn thing about that episode. Yeah. It's a memory killer. Yes. <laughs> Today's episode's over. Get out of our house. <laughs>